0: ...felt there was a good chance of reopening the canal without the withdrawal of Israeli troops. Dayan did not elaborate when he was questioned about Israel's decision two days ago to participate in the United States-sponsored talks with Egypt on an interim agreement for reopening the canal. A Brooklyn assemblyman said today that he intends to lead the fight against what he calls completely unjustified rate increases being sought by the Associated Hospital Service for its Blue Cross coverage. Brooklyn Democrat Brian Sharoff said he'll introduce legislation Monday to give the legislature the final say on proposed increases by all companies presently supervised by state regulatory agencies. Sharoff took his stand at hearings conducted today by the Associated Hospital Service in support of its request for increases averaging 17.9% for Blue Cross community-rated subscribers. Sharrison also lashed out at a variety of public service companies and agencies. There's no question that one of the most outrageous cost overruns is hospitals. The cost of medical care has just skyrocketed out of all proportions. Medicaid
1: bills showed that better than anything. But that isn't to say that Blue Cross, which is a public service, or Con Edison or any other utility, can simply go in year after year and ask for more increases without anybody really going over their books carefully in the public interest as an advocate, you know, as an attorney would, and saying some accusatory things like we think you're wasting some money here or there. Now, that's not...
0: One news in a moment. Men, tomorrow at Gimbel's, over $100,000 worth of famous brand men's winter outerwear is priced at fantastic savings of 25 to 40 percent. Imagine all wool tweed suburban coats that sold this season for $75. Tomorrow at Gimbel's, the tag reads $44.99. Get with the fashion scene at Gimbel's tomorrow. Save 25 to 40 percent on a tremendous choice of men's belted ski jackets, suede coats with acrylic pile collars. Men's double knit polyester jackets and coats, polyester quilted nylon jackets, and more at this great men's outerweight event. Men right now at Gimbals find just the coat you need for the cold, blustery days ahead at 25 to 40% off. Now, for instance, choose a hardy wool melton stadium coat with Dacron polyester lining and detachable hood, regularly $65 at Gimbals, priced tomorrow, just $47.99. At Gimbel's, find all the popular Dacron polyester, cotton-belted ski jacket. Sold regularly this season for $30. Tomorrow at Gimbal's pay just $21.99. Hurry to Gimbel's tomorrow. Save 25 to 40 percent on over $100,000 worth of famous brand men's outerwear. Find the coat or jacket you want at the price you want to pay. This is the fantastic sale that no man should miss. And it's in the men's sportswear department at the Gimbel's nearest you stock market made a fair gain today in active trading. New York exchange volume 17,890,000 shares. The gainers ahead of the losers, 843 to 600, 313 unchanged. Dow Jones Industrials closed up 3.53. Transportation up 1.30. Utilities down 0.32. Price of an average New York common share gained 13 cents. American exchange sales 5,877,000 shares. The gainers ahead of the losers, 511 to 443. 272 unchanged. The Amex Index closed up .07. Weather forecast for New York City and vicinity, fair, cold, and windy tonight. Lows in the upper teens. Tomorrow, mostly sunny and cold, windy, highs in the mid-20s. Clear and quite cold tomorrow night. Lows again in the teens. Sunday, fair, followed by increasing cloudiness, highs 25 to 30. Current temperature, 22 degrees. Humidity, 52 percent. Wind southwest, 14 miles an hour. They're gusting to 39, and the barometer, 29.99 inches and rising. Highlights in the news at this hour, 4,000 British troops moved into Northern Ireland town of Newry to try to prevent Sunday protest demonstration. President of the American Bar Association criticizes any form of government interference with the federal legal aid program. Author Clifford Irving makes a surprise appearance at Manhattan Federal Court tonight. And that's the latest from the W.O.R. Newsroom. Lester Smith reporting. Here news over WR New York, your station for news as it happens, 710 on your dial. I'll be back with another 15 minutes of news at 11 o'clock. Right now, Gene Shepard.
1: Keep your hands on the handlebars, keep them feets moving up and down, (laughs) and uh, my God, it moves! Goodbye, Nick. Ah, big. Big. It's Friday night. Mysterious, sinister Friday night. And uh, everywhere, the mysterious, sinister doings are happening as they always do. My God, I sometimes shudder to think what's going on at the time when I'm doing this show. Out there in certain byways, certain alleys, and back of certain McDonald hamburger joints and jerseys. Great vest, greensward. This is action night. This is the night when the hopes of man rise higher and higher because the weekend has finally arrived. And, of course, man always feels that this weekend is going to be the one that's going to make the final statement. It's going to go all the way. It's only by Friday afternoon that he realizes that, once again, he's going to have to start rebuilding again. The man's hopes go up and down. Thusly, it'll be all right, Lee. Just be calm. It's okay. It's working Yeah, I knew you. You're on top, but of course. We'd like to uh, give a salute here tonight speaking of hanky-panky before we get underway. Gee, this would make a fantastic half-hour, quickie, one-act drama in the Armpit Theater, someplace over a little joint that sells pizzas down on 4th Street in the village. With English actors, by the way, you could get uh, Dick Bogard to play the father, Margaret Leighton to play the mother, and a particularly evil midget to play the three-year-old son. May I please have a little of my salute to England, where stuff gets even more grotesque than you ever would have dreamed in your wildest moments? And so tonight, we salute the tiny little family in South Benfleet, England. We read this note direct from the Associated Press Wire. My God, there'll always be an England the country that spawned Jack the Ripper. Tom Smith locked his wife up in an antique chastity belt for their 26th birthday. Yes, he gave her a chastity belt on her 26th birthday, and then their three-year-old son, Mark, threw away the key. How about that for symbolism, my God? Freud couldn't have done any better. Smith attacked the medieval cast iron with a saw and broke two blades. He was unable to bust the thing open. Father then bundled Mother into the car and drove her to the firehouse. Chortling firemen freed Mrs. Smith with their wire cutters. Well, when when Tom presented me with it, I thought it was just what I'd always wanted, she said. It was a joke, but it wasn't so funny afterwards. And we'd like to salute Mark tonight who uh, performed a very symbolic act. It had to be Mark, three years old, who threw away the key to the chastity belt. It has all the meanings. Oh. <laughs> all the rab- Anybody, you know, if, you, if, you, if a playwright ever wrote a thing like that, he'd, be, he'd get laughed right out of the theater. They'd say, oh, come on, that's too pat." Please. Punta Gorda, Florida. Cass Bugaresta, civil deputy for the Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, had to make new subpoenas because a goat had eaten the original ones. As Bugaresta stepped into the house to serve... he just walk into his house to serve two subpoenas on the residence. He was bitten on the leg by the pet goat. With the animal clinging to his leg, he frantically waved the legal papers at the goat. Get off! Get off, dear! Where you, goat? The goat let go of his leg and then took a swipe at the subpoenas, at which point he ate them up so fast that there wasn't enough left to serve. End of the Travis McGee mystery for tonight. By the way, we'll give you a... Uh, I'll give anybody out there brass Spiegelge with bronze oak leaf palm if you can tell me who Travis McGee is you know Nick and what is the name of the place where he lives what's the name of his abode not the town he lives in what's the name of the abode you don't know who Travis McGee is and you don't know the name of the place he lives then you don't know nothing about Travis McGee Nothing, friend. Nothing. Uh, for those of you who uh, would, uh, you know, kind of miss the uh, way things are going, sometimes I I, uh, I don't know which way it's going to go. Hey, uh, do you have my Beethoven up in there? Uh, it is part of our duties here, as you know, as a traveling working artist walking through the world of our time. Just call me Candide. If you don't mind. Luigi Candide. Used to be a trigger man for the mafia. By the way, when is Plimpton going to play? Going to play? Yeah, uh, George Plimpton works two weeks with the Mafia as a trigger man, as a Gunzel, and does a fantastic NBC special on the exciting life of an of a Mafia Gunzel. That'd be kind of exciting, wouldn't it? <laughs> but uh, I would like to, uh, I'm holding this up for you, Nick here, you're an ex-student. You might be, might be pleased to know that the ad world has finally moved into areas where it never lived before. And as part of our our work here. We'd like to file this with our vast file of trivia, which is going into our time capsule so that 5,000 years from now, when they dig it up, they'll know what life was really like. The current issue of New York Magazine features an ad that I think is a, a, a totally new breakthrough. It shows a very serious looking guy st- sitting there, and he's sitting in what looks like a bunch of theater seats. And he's got a pencil in his mouth, you know. he's look- You're looking at him, and he's caught in a serious moment, see. He's not looking at the camera, Nick. Listen carefully. You got a picture to scene. He's looking off into the middle distance and he's holding his pencil in his in his mouth. You know, you know the kind you hold once in a while, you say, Hmm. I wonder what what direction the world will take next. Hmm. And he's looking very thoughtful and he's got a he's got a very now mustache and his hair is combed boyishly over his forehead. And uh, he's looking very serious. And what do you think it is? See him there? Do you think this is an ad for an insurance company? Do you think it is an ad for a brokerage house? Not at all. Get ready with my Beethoven. It is an ad for... Thank you, Vic. (laughs) Well, that's the way the best Beethoven begins, with the sound of a record scratch (laughs) in this day and age. <laughs> it adds a little shoddiness to our production, which I kind of like. Gang, yeah, if you wonder what this is, we are tonight saluting the ad world everywhere. It is an ad for a school teacher. Yes, and above his name, above him, you see his name printed in sort of mod hip letters. And I will change the name to protect the guilty, Cloverman. If you, and here's the copy, if you were to ask Irving Kluberman what he was doing all alone in the classroom after all the students had left, he'd probably say modestly, thinking. Yes, Irving Kluberman teaches at the Warren G. Harding School because he likes to think. He couldn't stand using last year's notes for this year's class. He has to find new ways every day to communicate with adolescent girls because adolescent girls are different every day. Yes, Kluberman has to get a girl thinking about what to expect of herself in the way of leadership and involvement and what her particular talents are and how she intends to develop them and what is not only to be understood but to understand. Perceiving, analyzing, and communicating are what grown people have to do. Growing people have to learn how. Kluberman teaches communications at Warren G. Harding because he wants to. I like that. I imagine all the kids leaving Kluberman's class every day asking for his autograph. I don't know what you mean by that. You pointed at me. wait just a minute. We're getting a note here. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Oh, I know, I know. What's that got to do with the price of eggs in Pittsburgh, honey? Yes, <laughs> yes, I tell you, That's uh, true. I, I, uh, I can see, I can see changes coming now. Eventually, of course, uh, that's just the breakthrough now, and uh, I, I, it's got to come. It happened in sports, you know, Nick. Very not too long ago, you know, it, it used to be that the Yankees would play another team, but then it was. Mickey Mantle with the New York Yankees take on the Detroit Tigers, starting Al Kaline. And that was a whole new ball game <laughs> at that point. <laughs> People would walk out of the out of Shea Stadium when Namath wasn't playing that day. I've seen him do it. Oh, they put in understudies all the time, you know. And uh, that's a whole new thing. And I can just see Harvard. Give me a little more of that Beethoven, will you please? I can see a, an ad for Harvard. See, I uh, can. I can just see it happening. It's <laughs> Harvard University presents with great pleasure Dr. Leopold L. Steinmetz. Dr. Steinmetz, realizing that man in his ever changing daily life, in his constantly challenging role dealing with the universe, recognizes that basic physics is a thing that modern man uses as a tool to vault to the heavens, to vault to the moon. Dr. Steinmetz realizes that today's pliable young minds must be dealt with communicated with and what about the Harvard student of tomorrow? He must march forward bearing the feeling the knowledge the understanding that life is but for the devouring yes, Steinmetz teaches at Harvard because it's there. <laughs> <laughs> this guy teaches communicating. You know, I've been in the business of communicating almost all my life as a professional, and I still don't know how you can teach communication. Oh, I, I see. I see another. You know, there's all these amorphous courses now that are taken over where that there's no way to flunk a guy. You know, in, in anything like communication. Would you please uh, give me a little more of that Beethoven? I can see the future. This this going going further out. I can just see it now. <laughs>
0: Dr. Florence
1: L. Peabody has accepted the challenge at Yale. Dr. Peabody teaches the young minds, the growing young, fertile minds of the young undergraduates at Yale. Dr. Peabody teaches... in the full understanding that today's modern world, man must learn how to love. He must understand the meaning, the faces, the ramifications,
0: and the future of love. Dr. Peabody has accepted the challenge and now teaches the students at Yale love.
1: Yes, Dr. Florence L. Peabody teaches love at Yale because, well, just because. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) This is WOR, New York. May I make a station break here? And uh, while we're doing this... Hello, Test. Hello, 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 Test. Uh, Let's see. We have a commercial here. I'm looking. Oh, yeah. Hello. You saver types. You guys who save money. We have a note here from the Providence Savings Bank in New Jersey. Uh, Jersey City, that is, of course. uh, That's Jersey. The oldest savings bank in New Jersey, and they got good news... And some bad news for you. And I've gotten some from my bank from time to time. First, the good news you, if you have a regular passbook savings account with Provident, you'll be getting your 5% a year dividend, the highest allowed by law, credit to your account on the last day of this month and every month, 12 times a year. And now here's the bad news. If you're not a Provident Savings Bank depositor, oh, you may have an account that pays you less interest. And make you wait for it until the semi annual or quarterly period. So it makes sense. Get with the Provident good news, friends. Provident Savings Bank wants your savings, whether personal or business, to earn the most in dividends. And if you'd like to find out about their their fast growing Provident Savings account, Bank by Mail Kit, you can get it free. You just write Provident in care of it says name of personality. Is that is that me? Yes, I guess so. Good pray... Care Provident. No, ma- name of me there, Gene. That's me. <laughs> Just write to me. WOR, New York, 10018. Or you can phone them right now, MU26800. And ask them about their bank by mail kit. And they're a member of the FDIC. That's nice. Uh, do you have your Walden thing? We've already done the station break. You were busy at the time. Yes, I did. You tell him, Nick. Yes, would you please uh, give me my Walden music? It's commercial here. Yeah, this is from a new album. Give me some of my uh, Henry David Thoreau words here. Yes, it's the only road that's really free, walking down the old Marlborough Road for you and, you and you and you and you and me far away from the city pressures. And all these great words by Henry David Thoreau are set to rock by the new Nature Group. And the album is called Walden. And it's available at all King Carol record shops at sale price of $298. And if you can't come, write. You can write them at King Carol, 111 West 42nd Street, New York City. Free mailing anywhere in the U.S. That's 298 And they'll ship immediately. That's King Carol, 111 West 42nd Street, New York City. Henry David Thoreau set the music on Walden. Just the kind of stuff that sounds good rolling out over Walden Pond, and the quietness of Henry David Thoreau's contemplation of his navel. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. Walden. All right. Uh, gee, things are—you're know, really advertising some wild stuff these days. We got the Walden. We also have here uh, our good, old, good old birds. For those of you who haven't—Hey, uh, listen. Uh, they now make. They have two uh, two styles of these birds now. You seen the new one? You saw the old one I brought up here. Well, that's the one with the, that looks like the Da Vinci drawings. It's a kind of a pretty one. It's an orange and yellow and brown, just the way the Da Vinci drawings were. Well, the new one is a dove. It's white with gold trim. It's a, a piece dove type. So if you have a uh, you know if you have one of these neighbors that walks around with shotguns. Keeps hollering around about bad people. And you ought to go and blow them up. Well, you wind up your piece dove, and you fly it over his backyard. <laughs> but uh, you, can get, you can get them now white, you know. That's kind of weird. And it has a little crank out of the back, and you wind it up, and she'll fly maybe three or 400 feet. And it's just like a real bird. If you haven't seen any of these things, these are really wild. And uh, they're, they're, they're really something else. And uh, the way you order them is you simply send a check or money order... With a 398 to flying bird. Now make sure you say which one you want. You know, regular bird, spelled B U R D, or dove. Dove. Spelled D U E. No, dove. Dove. I'm sorry. Dove. You know how to spell dove for crying out loud. Specify white dove or yellow bird. And they're 16 inch wingspan. It comes packed in a box. You just pop it out and you put it together in about eight and a half seconds. And it comes with a special tool. ...for replacing the extra set of rubber bands which come with it. Nothing is worse than a piece of with a busted rubber band. That's symbolic. Flying Birds, Department S. Send your check to Flying Birds, Department S. Post Office Box 199, Grand Central Station, New York, New York. And don't make the check out to me. Make it out to Flying Bird, you dildoc.
0: Hey, uh, you know, speaking of
1: uh, dildocs, we've been getting a lot of questions lately about our T V show which was on PBS this past season. And uh you know, people wondering about the whole story. And here's the story at this point. They are this, the show got really a good reaction across the country. So PBS is now repeating it. The show will be repeated this late this spring. So in case you missed some of it, you'll be able to pick it up to be on the network regular I guess at the regular time. Do you know Lee? They didn't say. They, they wrote me a note and said they're repeating the PBS Gene Shepard's America show on the network late this spring, and it'll be seen all summer on television. And then we're preparing a new series for the coming season. So we're working on a new season, which is tentatively entitled Un- Un- Great Unsung American Heroes. <laughs> Now, it's not. It's not uh, nothing to do with great heroes of the past or anything like that. For example, one of our series shows right now. Maybe I shouldn't say. What do you What do you advise, Lee? You're my advisor. No, I better not. Well, I'll give you a clue. No, I better not because immediately somebody's going to run over to NBC and go out and try to do it. So I'll stick with it, and uh, that goes on next uh, next season in full color, the whole shtick, you know. You know, it's, it's very funny what's happening to television. For those of you who don't know much about the business, but uh, the show that I did, which uh, was a regular 13-week series, it was not canceled at any point. In other words, we contracted to do 13 shows, and that's what we did. And uh, they were put on the network and seen all across the country. Well, there's been some curious reactions, I mean, in the business world. For example, we received a uh, an offer to do those shows on in well, I guess it's, it's, uh, what they call, uh, I suppose it's a variation of cable television. But did you know that there's a whole new setup now where cable television is going to be cabled into motels around the country just for there? In other words, you can see great shows in motels which you can't see anywhere else. In other words, it won't be available to other cable TV series, you know, where other, other services. And so, <laughs> <laughs> Some outfit took a poll around the country and found out that our show, believe it or not, was popular in motels. Now, how do you figure that one? Did my show have a motel quality to it? <laughs> and so now, so now they, they, they want to put it on closed circuit television in motels around the country. Color, you know, a whole bit. And uh, so th- that's how specialized show business is getting. I and mean, it's really getting very special. You know, it used to be that guys used to say, I'm doing a kid show, or, uh, you know, I'm uh, doing a housewife show, or I'm doing an adult show. No longer now. And you say, well, I'm doing a a, a children motel show for a <laughs> for a special crowd. You know, it's, a, it's a very special scene. Everything, in other words, our whole society is getting splintered up into little tiny splinters To uh, to where guys who live in motels will see a whole different series of television shows than say guys who uh, don't live in motels and who spend their time sitting in their front porch. So uh, you know, I don't know. You know, uh, we'd like to we'd like to uh, p- a great uh, moment happen here today. We'd like to uh, point it out here for those of you. It's a place that I I uh, one time uh, myself had a sweaty evening in. And uh, we would like to So Do you have a uh, do you have me uh, give me some uh, No, no Beethoven. No, Beethoven's too good for this. Uh, what do you got? Yeah, that's pretty good. That little, uh, it's, uh, it's Chicago. It's a Chicago story, so I think that would fit. You know, Chicago, Chicago, that title in town. That title in town, Chicago, Chicago. You know the rest of the lyrics? I know some lyrics on that that would blister your ears. You know, the, the, the town where a man once danced with his very own wife, which I thought, always thought was a great lyric. Just, uh, <laughs> it says more than... Yeah, that's right. Chicago, Chicago, that title in town. Well, more stuff happens in Chicago per square inch than any other city I know of in the world. It's, you know, it's really a going city. And yet a great thing happened today in Chicago. For those of you who are uh, students of American culture, you didn't hear this on uh, on Cronkite's News. But a big breakthrough happened today, and uh, we'd like to report it as part of our continuing series, uh, History, as it happens now, today, in America, please. Chicago. It was cold outside in Chicago today, five degrees Fahrenheit. But some who liked it hot jammed a State Street theater to see Miss Nude America take it all off and uh, court arrest by the by the fuzz. Valerie Kraft, who had won her title at a nudist resort in Roseland, Indiana, last summer exposed her total naked charms at the Rialto Burlesque Theater in a bid for jail and glory in a court action to beat the city's anti-nude ordinances. But Miss Kraft forgot the ingenuity of municipal minds. She was not put in a slam. Despite sitting on the stage as she worked, right on stage... Was an iron faced vice detective who sat back of her as she did her thing, you know, with the band going and the drums going off. And he wrinkled his nose when she trailed a long black feather over her uh, bareness. Instead, uh, Chief Francis Murphy of the city's Fire Protection Bureau stepped in and closed the Rialto for failing to provide adequate firefighting equipment to stop a blaze. (laughs) What a letdown. But not before news photographers and the paying customers $3 a head warmed their eyes at the sight of Valerie peeling off and flaunting all of her charms as the stage lights blushed to crimson. We quote her, I think I'm lucky to be the girl who's got the chance to open up Chicago to new dancing, she said before her performance. But with the Rialto closed, Valerie is now looking for other audiences to conquer and other spots to put the slam in. Thank you. That's Chicago. Now, do you know anything about the Rialto? Never heard of it, huh? I might add I uh, have been in the Rialto. And uh, it's funny that, that the Rialto, just hear the name Rialto, makes me sweat inside. Because I'm going to tell you something. What happened one time in a Rialto? I, I shouldn't be telling you this because there are probably kids up. But uh, when I was about uh, 15, maybe 16, let's put it this way. I was a big 15 after all I was playing tackle at the time. Me and a couple other guys, including Flick, who was even bigger than me, and uh, Bolas Rakowski, who was bigger than both of us. Bolas Rakowski sounds exactly the way his name describes him. You can imagine him, you know. At the age of 16, he was wearing a a 22-and-a-half neck. And, uh, oh, yes. (laughs) Indeed. Bolas' neck began at his ears and tapered out from that point. And uh, he had no shoulders at all. His neck just went down and like a, just tapered out right under his ears. It just started to move out. And by the time it got to the place where you put his collar on, you know, it was 22 and a half, and a half an inch below that, it was uh, all the way out to 48. Bullis Bullus was a bowling ball with feet. And so me and Bullus and Flick, one sweaty Saturday afternoon, we're down in a bay. Now, I'll tell you about the Rialto. The reason I brought this out, I read this, I said, oh, by God, they're still busting up at the Rialto. Well, I have received many letters from people from time to time asking if I have ever felt the cold hand of the law on my shoulder. I have to say yes. I have to say yes. I never told this story. And if it ever gets back to certain places in my hometown, I'm liable to be dead. So uh, keep it to yourself. But I'm going to tell you exactly what happened on a fantastic Saturday. Just like tomorrow, Saturday, right? There's going to be kids getting trouble tomorrow. They don't know it yet tonight. But tomorrow, at this time, you are liable to be sweating bullets. That's right. Uh, a, a lot of kids listening to me right now don't realize what lies in store for them. None of us do, actually. You know, it's one of the great things about life. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow morning. You ever had the feeling in, that life itself is like a great big, unbelievable, fantastic, never-ending, totally varied show that you you just don't know uh, any second. I mean, you just it just goes on, and you keep hearing these groovy stu- things that you just wouldn't ever have imagined two minutes before. Like I was just told that the. Uh, that the Bell Company, you know, the phone company, is building a building here not more than a block away from where the studios are, and it's supposed to be the only hydrogen bomb-proof building in all of New York. Now, isn't that a comforting thought? It's kind of nice to know when all the people are blown up and the buildings are gone and there's nothing but a big hole in the ground, the telephone company will still be standing there ready to take calls. Now, uh, (laughs) what... Which seems to me... (laughs) One of the life's little ironies: there won't be nobody to call, and uh, but the, but that building's going to stand there. The switchboards are going to be popping, and everything's ready. So, you I would not have anticipated that until I heard that. You know, it just suddenly hit me that this is kind of a great thing to know. Th- so, you, you never you never realize what's going to happen to you tomorrow morning. You have no idea. If you think you know what's going to happen to you tomorrow morning at ten, you're just uh, you're it's a fool's paradise. You're whistling in the dark. You don't know, no way to know, and so. One day, me and Flick and, and Bolus Rakowski were sitting in Bolus's basement. Now, a lot of bad stuff, a lot of evil things are contrived in guys' minds and basements. I think, uh, I think rooms change your whole view of life. I mean, you just can't imagine planning a gigantic heist in your grandmother's sun parlor. You know, with a sun coming in and the fern plant's growing around you. You agree with that, Nick? That your environment plays a role on what you're gonna do. So one night, and, and I think boys, I don't know about girls in this case, but do girls ever go through the the uh, sweaty pinochle playing stage? Did you ever go through that stage when you were about 14 playing cards with your friends? Frantic card games? You did, good, fine. Everybody does that then, okay, we'll accept that. But uh, uh, we, we used, we, we got under the pinochle kick, and we played three-handed pinochle. Me and Bolas and Flick every night would get around, yeah, we would get around this table down the basement. We were about 15, see? And we would play pinochle, and we had, we played double deck pinochle, you know, with with two decks. And we had these two old decks of cards that were so old and so worn that together the two decks of cards, when we were ready to deal them out, was about the size of of the average cantaloupe. Yeah, that's right, a big, fat, round thing, and they were gray, you see? And the, the corners were all worn out and bent up. They had wings on them and everything else, and we'd sit there we'd deal them out. See, we'd get uh, absolutely in dead silence. We'd cr- crouch over this round table. It was in the basement of Bolus's house. We we played in Bolus's basement, and the Bolus, obviously, Bolus was Polish. And it was then I began to realize that the Poles, at least the ones I knew, lived most of their life in the basement. As a, as a matter of fact, somebody asked me a terrible Polish joke the other day. They said, What's a Polish condominium? Somebody said that the answer is a basement. Well, nevertheless, we lived most of our life in a basement. His mother, who spoke no English at all, and of course at that time I spoke about two thirds of my language, consisted of a smattering of English, a smattering of uh, Hungarian, because my other buddy was Gezanemet. And a lot of Polish because Bolus Polis Rucoski there's no way to talk to Bolas' mother or anybody else around his house unless she could speak Polish. So, my my and I never thought in terms of it being bilingual or trilingual or anything else. We just you know when you were when you're with Gays and Emi, you holler stuff like Tashik andem him tabola Well, that's that's uh, Hungarian. And, uh, and yeah, you know, and they, they, she'd come screaming down the stairs. I remember one time she chased me out around the garage. One thing about Hungarian mothers, they're totally, they're like all, they're all a direct offshoot of Anna Magnani. And, uh, yeah, that's a uh, great, uh, talk about lusty ladies. Wow. So, uh, nevertheless, I'm sitting in the basement of Bolas on this Saturday night. And, uh, me and Bolas and Fleck, and we're playing pinochle. Well, when we played pinochle, it was a serious proposition, very serious. For one thing, uh, pinochle apparently and, and 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 Germans and Poles go together. That the, when it, when when you're playing pinochle with somebody who's Polish, pinochle is like the national game, and and he he would remember tricks, you know, plays that had been made like nine months before in games long since forgotten, and he would get mad all over again about it. And Bolas would say, You're stupid! And Flick would say, What do you mean, stupid? He's just stupid like the time you played that... with the time you played that jack! You remember the time you played the jack on my queen? And you... What, yeah, that, Trump my queen! What do you mean? You're stupid! You're doing it again! Flick said, When did I do that? Said, Don't you remember that last July you did that? Well, it was no question we had done it, you see, so it was a very serious thing. And we'd sit there and de- dealing out the cards, and it was hot and steamy down there, and you could smell the stuffed cabbage, the kubasi. You could smell, you know, that Polish cooking, incidentally, is a fantastic aphrodisiac. I mean, uh, it, it, it is a fact. And, uh, and yes, and, and and there was this chick used to come over there all the time. She was Polish, Josephine Kubelik. And I remember, Josephine Kubelik would come down the stairs, and I'll tell you, you could you feel the cards in her hands start getting sweaty. And she would just come down the stairs there... And she was always selling tickets to a raffle at the All Saints School. And the sh- <laughs> Josephine Kubelik would come down there. The Bolus had a thing on Josephine. Well, the Bolus, the whole, uh, the entire sophomore class had a thing on Josephine Kubelik, one way or another. But uh, Josephine Kubelik would come down there. We're playing cards this night. This was the night before the 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 the, the, the incident about which I'm. I shouldn't tell you this. Occurred. We're playing... Now, that's innocent, right? Playing Pinochle, right? Okay. The fact that we were three big guys for our age is significant to the story I'm about to tell. We were also three gnarled types because all three of us were involved in playing football constantly, and so we had patches all over us, and, the, you know, we had, had Band-Aids and stuff over our eyes, and we're playing Pinochle on this, this night. It was a hot, sweaty night. Down in the basement, next to the stove, they had this great big furnace. And have you ever have you ever seen Polish blue? Well, almost everything that Polish people have in their houses are painted a curious kind of egg, almost robin's egg colored blue. But it isn't exactly robin's egg. I I can't describe it any more than I know that I can see. I recognize it the instant I see it. I know that that's Polish blue, and they paint woodwork around their houses this color. So. They, they, the Bolus's mother or somebody, his brother Stash, had painted the furnace downstairs this blue color, and it was in the bay, in the dark. You see this gigantic blue furnace with these enormous arms sticking out. You know, the, the pipes that went up into the... It looked like an enormous blue octopus turned upside down, sitting in the corner. So we're sitting there playing Pinochle this night. St. Josephine Kubla came down, and uh, she was talking to Mrs. Rakowski in Polish about the raffle tickets that they were selling for the All Saints school. And I saw her out of the corner of my eye, and there's a certain period when a, when a male is about fifteen and sixteen when almost every instant of his life, every waking and most of his sleeping instances of his life are spent thinking about girls. Do you agree with this, Nick? That is known as the total sweaty period. Well, we're playing Pinochle, see, and, I, and I, I am vaguely distracted, because over in the left of my vision is Josephine Kubelik. Well, I see Flick looking over my shoulder, and he's dealing the cards, and he's even throwing a couple of them on the floor. We, we prided ourselves. On being able to shuffle the cards, where you you know you take them one you know, half of them went in your hand, you go you, know, you deal them out real fast. We got really good because a kid playing cards night and day, day and night, night and day. As a matter of fact, there were a couple of kids in our crowd that could easily have been easily have been the Bobby Fisher's of the of the of the pinochle world. I'll never forget that I got so good at playing pinochle, and you play instinctively when you're a kid. You don't you don't think in terms of any kind of uh, Great ploys. You just know what's right. You know you play it well. I remember one Sunday beating my grandfather and my father and all my uncles at Pinochle, clean in the mouth. I mean that's an embarrassing, for, you know, kid to do this. But that's the way we were playing. We we're sitting there playing this day, playing Pinochle. And Josephine Kublek walks across the basement floor and goes up the steps. Mrs. Rakowski following. Her. Flick puts down his hand and says, Boy, shoo, what a dish. Bola says nothing. See, he doesn't like us to recognize that Josephine is a dish because he's got a real serious thing on him. You know? Oh, shoot, not, not so much. Actually, he's plotting, see. And so we sat there for about five minutes, and then Flick said, Hey, what do you say we go into Chicago tomorrow? What do you say we hitchhike to Chicago tomorrow to go up and down and look at the radio shops? See, all three of us were going to the period when we build radios and that kind of stuff, you know? says, so, so what do you say we go into Chicago tomorrow? They had all these radio shops on South State Street, crummy little joints where you buy, you know, surplus uh, crystals and used turntables, and they had all kinds of old speakers and stuff, you, you know, like Van Cortlandt Street here in New York, see? So Bola says, yeah, we... Well, Let's go in. I said, okay. Now, I might point out, even at that age, people rarely say what they think. The three of us had one thing on our minds, not radio parts, but Josephine Kubelik. And somehow, going to Chicago, south side of Chicago, hitchhiking, was a kind of erotic thing. It was exciting to go in there. And so the next day, about two o'clock in the afternoon, we are hitchhiking to Chicago. I I would like to have one dollar for every mile I hitchhiked. I have hitchhiked them. Have you ever done any serious hitchhiking, Nick? Well, I'll tell you, it's it's an exciting thing. Hitchhiking is a little bit like various other blood sports. You never know what you're going to hook onto. It's exciting, and it's it's a continually exciting. Sometimes you draw a blank, you know. Other times, eight cars stop. Like all at once, you get in and you're with this fantastic chick, you know, ready to drive you to Mexico if you want to go. See, never know what you hit. So, so we hitchhike into Chicago and we're getting all our rides. And finally, we arrive up on the South Side, up on South State Street. See, and we're walking along, all three of us. We go into these places like, like the Ace Surplus Radio Parts Corporation, which was operated by a short, little, short, fat guy named Mac. Never had a last name. He was stubble all over. And there was all these grubby radio parts piled right up to the seating. And there were thousands of radio cuckoos that would come in there. And they're all sort of pale, pasty-faced, pimply-faced guys the, walking around in this place. Me and Schwartz, Flick, at, at Bolas, and Bolas were walking around in this place. And we go back out again, and the wind is blowing. Of course, we're just sort of not really interested in looking at radio parts. There was something else going. Well, we walked about a block along South State Street, and there... Right in the middle of this rotten, crummy neighborhood, if you don't know anything about that part of Chicago, there are all these little junk shops and stuff, was a marquee that said, the Rialto. Continuous shows. Twelve o'clock to midnight. We walked past the Rialto, and there were thousands of pictures of these bimbos. You seen them, you know? These chicks of these color pictures inside, continuous shows you know, Lesbia La Tool and her boom boom devil dance. And the... <laughs> yeah. So we walk past it once we see these guys skulking into this joint, see? Well, we got halfway down the block and 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 somebody had to finally say it. It was Flick. He said Hey, he said, how would you go why did, why don't we go to the show? What's going go on in the show? Baller says Okay. I said, what show? Flick says, what do you mean, what show? That lesbian little there and her double boo-boo dance. It was only a dollar and a quarter. Well, we each had about a buck and a half in our pockets, see? So we turned around, we walked back there, and it had a sign of it. it says, you must be 21. Well, I mean, when you're when you're a born and bred tackle, you can pass for 21 anything. And Bolas could have passed for 107. He could have, he could, he could have passed for Mount McKinley, you know. <laughs> so we laid down our buck and a quarter, and and we walk in through this. The guy takes our tickets. A little short guy, and they wear hats in these places. You know, you got to understand, they never take their hats off because they never know any minute they might be, uh, they might be busted, you know, and they don't want to lose their hat. So the the guy taking the tickets is wearing a hat. See, so we walk past. We he tears our tickets in half, and we go inside. It's a real dark place. But they have no seats. Have you ever been in a real rotten, crummy, stinking burlesque house? They don't have seats, see, because they don't want the guys to, to spend their all, all day just sitting there sleeping in the seats. You stand up when you watch the show. So all, we're all standing up on this slanting floor, and up on the stage, they have this little stage in the purple and green lights, is this chick, see, and she's got these long, trailing, fuchsia-colored, like, uh, well, like feather things, see. And, uh, yeah, and she's waving them around. And I want to tell you, she made Josephine Kubelik look like a Girl Scout brownie. She was, She was something else, you know, couldn't believe it. And, and there's, there's, a, there's two or three guys sitting down below. One guy's got these tom-toms. He's going, and she's moving up and down, and she's climbing up and down the scenery. Have you ever seen that act where they climb up and down the scenery? Oh, I'll tell you. And I, I never saw, you know, as being a guy at that time was interested in physical culture, you see, because I was playing football, I saw an act of, of uh, physical dexterity, which I would not believe to this day. There were certain parts of an anatomy to which she had to attach propellers, like little uh, feather fringe things, and she could move them. She had these propellers going, see, without seemingly moving a muscle. And what was even more amazing, she could move them in opposite directions. And she could stop them and reverse the directions and just go backwards and forth. And then she turns around and she's got them attached well uh, in the back. So she's got propellers going all over the place. Flick is is yelling. I'll tell you, he got to, he was yelling an hour because you know the Tom Tom started to go and this guy was selling Mexican wallets with genuine Parisian art pictures. And uh, we we're wallowing in this thing when all of a sudden a lot of guys start running through the place, and and the lights went on and bam. The man in blue moved in. Well, sh- I remember Bolas says, What? What do they want? And I heard four or five guys crawling on the floor saying, Get down, kid. Try to get out through the door. We're busted. Well, th- we're out on the sidewalk now, and they're putting us in the wagon. I've never told you the story. When a cop sees the three of us and says, You guys are kids. And Bolas says, Yeah. At that time, he's now got a very high voice and he pretends like he's ten. He says, listen, you guys, beat it. Get out of here, beat it, and don't come back. And they put the rest of the guys in the wagon, and away they went. Well, we hitchhiked back home, and I don't think any of us ever mentioned where we had spent an exciting afternoon. Not a skin of our teeth, but I'll never forget Lesbian. She was incredible with those tassels. Fantastic action. This is WOR New York. We have Lester Smith in the news coming up.